You ever had a disagreement with somebody? If you haven't, you're strange. When we have disagreements with people, we have a choice to make. We can get bitter, we can get, again, get angry, want our way, or we can choose to forgive, we can choose to show grace. We have a choice that we can make as we're in these situations. What about when God convicts us of sin in our life? You've got a choice you can make. We can decide, I'm going to be stubborn, and we won't use these words, but I'm going to do what I want, this is what I desire, and we can get stubborn and rebel against what God wants us to do, or we can submit and we can repent, and we can do what God would have us to do. The the, the thing with all of these, we choose how we're going to react to what life brings our way. And if you had to summarize all these things, one bottom line, you and I are either going to react in a selfish, self-centered, prideful way so that it's all about us, it's all about what I want, or... We're going to react with the glory of God in view. And let me, just, let me just say this real clear. This reacting with the glory of God in view, that's not a natural thing. And if you're going to do that, it has to be intentional. We have to purposefully react. We have to be consciously thinking on that. I want God glorified by what I do with my life. I want, to, I want to live for Him. And those are the choices that we have. Now, if you're here today as a follower of Jesus, you, you have a benefit. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you that gives you the ability to follow Jesus. It gives you that ability to react in a Christ-honoring way because He's helping us to do this. So really, as followers of Jesus, we are without excuse. And those reactions do matter. And this is kind of thrown in my face a little bit during this week. Uh, Some minor things, but if you know me, you know that I am not Mr. Fix-It. Um, I can break. I can tear apart. I can do a lot of things with, with tools that probably shouldn't be done with the, I did it yesterday. But there are things that we can that, that I was working on yesterday. I decided to try to save money and fix something. Well, I had a choice to make. As that part didn't come out right, as that part chose to leak after I got it installed, as, the part, as things just didn't work, I had a choice. I could, like we're going to see today, I could praise God that, you know, he's given me some abilities to even try this mess. I have Google to, you know, I can pull up YouTube and see how to do this even though I mess it up. I can be thankful for a lot of things, but, you know, there's a tendency when things didn't go right. You know, come on. I just got some people's attention, didn't I? You ever do that? I knew one guy would sling a hammer across the room. Now, that's way too far. But, you know, sometimes we just get in the flesh because things aren't going our way. Let me just say this. You don't, I don't have to do this. I can follow Jesus. I can praise Him even when things are going sour. 
how much more so, and I, I've used this example with, with the couple that stayed in our parking lot for a few hours. The one, remember the lady that, that had the cancer that she had just been diagnosed and how she was just praising God through this thing and God was using her. It was a beautiful picture. No matter what comes our way, we can choose to react in a Christ-honoring way. Okay? In our text today, we are going to see a lot of different reactions. And they're going to be to different circumstances. Some of those circumstances are good. Some of those circumstances are bad. But we are going to see reactions. And we know this passage. We know this is the conversion of the Philippian jailer. We know the story that's all behind it. This guy was, I'm going to say, okay, this part of this I, uh, educated opinion, he is the third of people that are recorded for being converted that would join the church at Philippi. And I say I think the third because Lydia, uh, not Lydia, Lydia is mentioned, the demon-possessed girl, it's, it's, I assume that she came to Christ after, this, after this, uh, her exorcism. But humanly speaking, the Philippian jailer is the third of three that were extremely unlikely candidates to come to Christ. These people were not your typical that you would expect to become the, the, the foundation of this new church at Philippi. So in this passage, what we're going to see, we're going to see treachery, we're going to see corruption, we're going to see redemption, we're going to see vindication, we're going to see love. This is an awesome story that we're going to be looking at today. And there's a lot in it. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll look at our text. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for for being concerned about us and desiring to redeem. Lord, I thank you for this time of year when we can remember you uh, sacrificing and Jesus coming to be with us. Lord, help us to be grateful. And Lord, as we look in this passage, I pray that you would use it to strengthen us, use it to convict or encourage or whatever, whatever you're needing to do in each life here. I pray that you would use your word and that you would not allow it to return void. Lord, I ask for your help as I preach. I pray that you would give me the strength that is needed. I ask, ask Lord, that you would intercede. Lord, use this time in some way to glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. I would appreciate it. Um, I don't know what you do. When, when I open in prayer like that, I don't know what you're doing in your mind. Um, you should be joining me, but I would encourage you, please, beg you, be praying just uh, as I start. Um, I've been up since about two, and it has not been a good morning, so uh, I'm kind of mm, right now. So I would like to, for the Lord to use this time and to speak in spite of me, and uh, just please, as you think about it as I'm preaching, pray. Uh, I could use some help this morning. So, there's my commercial. Now let's get into our text. Okay, uh, before we start the text, let's look at a little bit of the background and let's just, uh, just catch you up where we're at. You remember we mentioned a second ago the, the girl, the young girl who was possessed. And, and Paul, he cast out this demon and he did it by the authority of Jesus. He made no bones about it. Jesus is the power that is going to cast this demon out. 
Paul is all about lifting up Jesus. And that, that, need, that again, we can learn from this. We need to understand that needs to be our calling is lifting up Jesus. So what, gets, what happens then? The owners of this girl, she was a slave. She had no right. She had nothing. This girl was a very, in a very pitiful situation. So the owners, they got really ticked off. They were upset. Why? They lost their possibility for money. They were get, making money off of this girl. So they're mad. As a result of their anger, we're told they drug Paul and Silas. It does not mean they escorted them. They did not escort them to the jail. They drugged them to the jail. It was rough. They were manhandling Paul and Silas. They drug them before the court. And then they got the people all worked up. The people are, are ticked. And what did they use to get this, this working up happening? These guys are Jews. Well, that made a big difference because in Rome, they just got rid of all the Jews. They kicked all the Jews out of Rome because Caesar didn't want them there. And so this, there was a natural negativity towards Jewish people, so they brought this up. And then they said they're trying to cause trouble. They're trying to cause a riot and get people, Romans, to stop doing our own customs. They're trying to make us be like them. And they got the people worked up. Okay, there's your background. That brings us to this text. So now we're going to look at their reaction. So the first point, your re the reaction of the world. The reaction of the world. Let's read again, verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them. But them is Paul and Silas. And the magistrates rent off their clothes. There is Paul and Silas. They rent off these guys' clothes, commanded to beat them, and when they laid many stripes on them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, when I read these verses, and this is coming from just my culture, my experience, my first thought is, this, isn't, this doesn't sound like reality. This does not sound like something that would really happen, that these, these two guys could get everybody worked up into a frenzy and get them to go against Paul and Silas for doing you know, good. It doesn't make human sense. That was my first thought. But then you've got to ask, does this happen? Think back a little bit. Okay, let's go back in history some. You go back to World War II. A government was able to get the majority of the populace of Germany to hate and turn against multiple religious and ethnic groups, primarily Jews, they were able to work people up to such a point that the majority was, was good with, you know, kick these Jews out, let's take their possessions, let's make things hard on them. This happened. You had people working other people up into this, this, this mob mentality. Now, okay, we can look at Germany. That's, one, that's, that's overseas. What about here in America? Same time period. Remember when the, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor? Remember what happened in our country? You had Japanese, people of Japanese descent who were being attacked. Put it, they were put into internment camps. They weren't treated like the Holocaust. Okay, I'm not saying we went that far, but you had Japanese who were attacked because of their nationality. People were working up into a mob mentality. Okay, now we're looking back in the 40s. What about today? 
do we see anything today of a mob mentality? All you got to do is look. I mean, people can type in a skewed report on Facebook or Twitter, and we know those are always true, right? You know, people type in lies, and you get a mass crowd wanting to gather and protest, and you've got literally, I would say, half the country in favor of this who are saying this is a good thing to do the burn, loot, murder. All this is great. People today are getting worked up into this same mob mentality. This is not abnormal. It's crazy, but it's not abnormal. It can happen. So when you look at that in our text, you see this happening. It goes to show you this is not out of the ordinary. This is something that is very, very understandable. People are fickle. People can be easily manipulated and used. But in this text, can I just remind you of something that makes it even more understandable? Our warfare is not primarily physical. Our warfare is spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers of darkness. We, this is a spiritual warfare. And what just happened prior to this? You had Paul making a frontal assault by casting out a demon from an, an innocent girl who was possessed. Paul made a frontal assault on the powers of darkness. And we are not told this in this passage. I am making assumption, an assumption when I say this, but those powers of darkness, they were not happy with Paul. They were not pleased with what Paul had just done to, to undermine their authority. And so there is going to be spiritual darkness attacking Paul for making this frontal attack. Now, I cannot explain spiritual warfare and how it happens. I've, it's a different realm, but this I can tell you, it's real. And it does happen. And there are spiritual powers at work that desire to sideline believers, that desire to keep unsafe from coming to Christ. This is a war that is constantly going on, and we need to be aware of that. We need to make sure that we are fighting for the correct side. Because even as believers, we can fight for the wrong side. And sometimes believers do. We need to make sure that we are submitted to Jesus and we're following Him. So let's look at what happened in these verses. And then I want to just give a few application points here. First thing we see here in these verses, it says they stripped them. They rent off their clothes. And what that means is they took, basically they would take them down to their underclothes. They would expose their back, they would expose their legs. That's the, the rent off their clothes verses. And, and we're told in 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul goes over his list of what happened to him as he was ministering, three times was I beaten. This is believed to be the first. He went through this three different times. So on this time, he, he makes it clear he was beaten. And in verse 23, they laid many stripes. Keep in mind that with the Jews, you remember the, there's the, the, the limitation, 40 Save one. They, they could give them 39 stripes to make sure they didn't go over the amount. But the point being this, God put limitations. There were limitations on the punishment that could be inflicted on someone. The, Jew, the Romans did not have that limitation. 
The Romans would beat until they were tired of it. The Romans would beat until they ran out of energy. It didn't matter about the victim. So we don't know how many stripes that Paul and Barnabas received as they went through this. So they gave them these stripes. They beat them. And then they said to the they they gave him over to the jailer to keep him safely. Okay, safely is not a good word for us to be using. Safely in our in our culture would mean you keep him safe, you take care of him. That was not the word here. You keep him secure. If he gets loose, you die. That's the word. They, this, this jailer was under a tremendous pressure then at that point to make sure that they did not escape. That was a threat towards him. Verse 24, he received this charge and he thrust. Okay, the, the word thrust means just what it says. To, it means the, a power movement of throwing. So you imagine being a power movement of throwing you into a room. That's what they did to him. They manhandled these guys who had just been beaten, slung them into a cell, and then the end of that verse made their feet fast in the stocks. Now there's a picture of me and my brother-in-law one time. We were up on the Kangamangas Highway up in New Hampshire, and I think that's where it was, but they, they took a picture of us, and we had put our hands and feet in some stocks, and we were sitting there smiling, Wrong picture, okay? These stocks are way different. What these stocks, what they would do in the Roman prisons, these stocks were adjustable and they would purposefully extend them as far as your legs would spread. And what would happen then is your legs would start to cramp. This was a torture device. You can't stop the cramping because your legs are too far out. That's what this jailer did to Paul. He didn't just put him in there to keep him secure. He put him in there and he manhandled him. He roughed him up and he inflicted more torture on to both Paul and Silas. And I'm going to suggest that this jailer probably enjoyed his job way too much. These jailers were normally, they were normally, ex, they had been military, they came out because they got too old, they were sidelined, they needed something to do, and so they would put them over criminals, and they would be rough. And that's the picture that we have in this passage of what is going on with Paul and Silas. This is bad, okay? Everything in this, these first few verses is an awful thing that we're reading. So what is it that we're supposed to learn from this? Well, the first one may sound a little left field. Bear with me, okay? Something we can learn. Not on your notes. Don't be guilty of false advertising. Don't be guilty of false advertising. I don't know about you, but I have a... It's like a pet peeve if somebody sells me something and they, they don't tell me everything and they leave some really important details out or they give me a bait and switch drives me crazy when that happens but do you realize sometimes we do that with people in our witnessing we will come to people and I've heard this people say things like this when they're witnessing you need to put your trust in Jesus because he'll make everything so much better for you he will just straighten out all of your problems he'll do and we, we make it like we're, we're coming to, to a forgive me the term, but like we're coming to a Santa Claus who's going to make, give us all of our wishes. That is not what the Bible teaches. But yet we get this, we, we, 
I don't know that we buy into this health, wealth, prosperity gospel, but it sure does make it a lot easier to be able to see people want to come to Christ. Listen, I don't want to, I'm not concerned that we make it easier. I'm concerned that we make it accurate. Jesus was very clear in Luke 14 when he was looking at potential converts. He would say, you need to count the cost. Listen, here's the truth. Getting saved, coming to Christ, it does cost. It costs you absolutely everything. Jesus never encouraged people to tack Him on to their lives. He never encouraged people to, to, to disclaim His name and then do what you want to do. Jesus said, you come, and I'll use the Hebrew phrasing, you come and walk in my dust. Literally, you follow me. You walk in my footsteps, you do what I do, you become my follower. The Bible says, 2 Timothy 3.12, if, you, if you're going to live godly for Jesus, you will suffer persecution. I would rather inform people of these things that this is a life commitment. This is not just things you're going to get better. Life is not when you become a believer, all of your problems don't go away. In fact, sometimes maybe they get intensified a little bit. Let's not be guilty of this bait and switch of you just need to come to Christ because everything's wonderful. Didn't happen with Paul. Everything was not wonderful for Paul at all. So let's not be guilty of this. Now, you know, let me just go to one other issue. Suffering. Suffering. Why do people suffer? What is suffering? I've had people who have, and these are some of the words I've heard, from people who are, I'll say, significantly older. I used to think that 60 was old. That's eh, not old. Now, as you start hitting 90, okay, you might be getting old. The older we get, the more elderly old is, or however that, you follow me. I've heard people with spouses in their late 80s saying, oh, why did they have to die? Because it's time. Nobody exempted us from suffering. Just because we're saved, we're not exempt from suffering. We're not exempt from death. We've got to understand this. With suffering, here's, a, here's some things that suffering is not. And th- this is a, a theological problem. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? You're going through suffering, and they say, well, God must be judging me. You ask how unbiblical that is? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you know Him as your Savior, He... Jesus took the punishment on our behalf for our past sins, for our present sins, and for our future sins. Every one of my sins has received all of the punishment it is ever going to receive. I cannot be punished any further or Jesus didn't do enough on the cross. There's a theological problem with saying that, I am, that suffering is God's punishment. On his children. It is not his punishment. So you'll have some who will say this. It may not be punishment, but we know it's got to be God's discipline then. You did something wrong. Here's how I used to hear this growing up. You do something wrong, and God's going to give you a spanking. Really? 
Now, I don't know how you grew up, okay? I'm, I'm telling on my dad. I love my I, I loved my dad. He was awesome. But my dad, when I did wrong, or sometimes maybe I was in, I embarrassed him, I would I would get a spanking. And I'll tell you what, I would hurt. And it was not, I'm judging, it was not so much, Rick, I want you to learn, I want you to be restored to fellowship. It was, you better not do that again, and I'm going to make you feel it. And I would feel it. I still remember the phrase my grandpa would use, I'll get my red belt. I knew, I, I was scared of that red belt. Listen. That was not chastening. That was punishment. God doesn't punish us anymore. So we need to get out of this mentality of that chastening of God is punishment. It is not. What God does, He does in love and He does it perfect. And His whole goal is to conform us to the image of Jesus. He will do what needs to be done to get our attention, to turn us back towards Him. He'll do what He's got to do. That's out of love. That is a perfectly good God. And I guess I'd have to suggest this. We don't really know when God's chastening is, is occurring. We don't know what He's thinking as He's doing it. So we've got to even be careful with this idea that suffering is chastening. Here's what we need to remember. Suffering, I can't say why it's allowed. I can't say why God does what He does. But suffering is always, always, always under the control of a good and loving Lord. He won't let things come our way that He's not going to walk through with us. He will not let things happen in our lives that, that, that are somehow meant, they're not meant to destroy, they're meant to help, they're, they're meant to grow us. And we need to accept this. Paul and Silas, in this passage, they had to believe that or the rest of the chapter wouldn't have happened. They understood that God is a good God. So, let's not be guilty of the false advertising. Another point that I would say, application-wise, let's you and I not be like these people, but let's be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. James 1.19, these people did just the opposite. We have a tendency to do this. Our tendency is to open mouth, insert foot, often. Our tendency is to say more than we should. Our tendency is not to be wise with our words. And I'll just end this one with this. If we would close our mouths and listen more often, we'd make a whole lot wiser decisions. We would, we, we would be able to... This is why those decisions that these people made were poor. They didn't listen. And one more, similar, they answered before they heard. If you've never heard that verse, Proverbs 18.13, I love that verse. He that answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly, it's shame to him. As we answer a matter before we hear it, you're a shameful fool. That's what Proverbs 18.13 is telling us. Now, we get aggravated with this. Maybe you don't, I do. When I watch a newscast and I see politicians want to jump on something really, really fast, or newscasters do it, and they answer a matter so they can be the first to make a statement. When they do this, it's just aggravating. and They make themselves shameful fools. So we see it happening in our culture. Let's make sure that 
We are not guilty of making these emotional judgments and jumping on something. Before we've heard all the facts, it makes you and I shameful fools. So we should expect this from the world, but it shouldn't be a part of the life of a follower of Jesus. Your application statement. Let's be willing to stand for Jesus regardless of the costs and also be quicker to listen and slower to rush to judgment so we won't be shameful fools. It's needed. Hopefully these are some practical lessons that we can learn from what I consider extremely sad verses. But even in the wake of this tragedy, we're going to see some more reactions. We're going to see Paul and Silas reacting wisely. Your second point, rejoicing of obedient followers. Rejoicing of obedient followers. Verse 25, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Now, midnight doesn't mean the strike of 12. It's literally the middle of the night. Sometime during the night, we're told that Paul and Silas prayed and sang. Literally, praying, they sang praises. That's the wording we have there. Praying, they sang praises. Now, I've heard a number of people say, you know, they were singing psalms. Uh, Maybe. Maybe. Keep in mind, this is 10 to 15 years after the beginning of the church. These are extremely musical people. I would assume their songs being written that have to do with praising Jesus. If that's not happening, you wouldn't have Paul in both Ephesians and Colossians saying you're to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There were multiple songs already being sung, and I would suggest that they were busy praising Jesus with their music. So they sang, they sang praises, and we're told at the end of that verse, the prisoners heard them. Literally, the prisoners were listening. Okay, that tells us a couple of things. Paul and Silas, they weren't being quiet or private about their praising God. Have you ever been in a situation where you were in a somewhat public place talking to somebody about spiritual things, and, and the person kind of, they, they lean forward and say, you know, in, in my devotions, I've been... And they quiet down and they talk about things of the Lord? Why? Well, I don't want to cause a scene. I don't want to be looking like I'm a religious nut. We're ashamed. That's why we quiet down. Point being, Paul and Silas, they weren't ashamed. They were wanting to praise God and they were doing it so Actively, that prisoners in the jail, they all were able to be listening to them. And keep in mind, Paul and Silas, it's not that they had this, this insight that they knew, okay, you know what, in about 15 minutes, there's going to be an earthquake and we're going to be set free, so everything's going to turn around, so therefore we can praise God. As far as Paul and Silas knew, the next morning they were going to get more of the same or they were going to be killed. They had no idea what was coming. What they were doing is they were praising God regardless of the, thir- of the circumstances. See, a lot of people have, the, have a theology that is based, it comes from their circumstances. And you, you, the, the phrasing might be something like, I'm doing good under the circumstances. Well, maybe you need to stop living under your circumstances. Maybe you need to live... You know, in the power of the Holy Spirit, above your circumstances. Maybe we need to follow Jesus and not our circumstances. 
So the idea when people have this mentality is this. Well, God is good when good things are happening to me, but when bad things come my way, you know I'm not so sure anymore. That's bad theology. Our God is always good. It doesn't matter what comes in your life. It doesn't matter what trial you go through. Our God is always good. Our God never changes, and He is worthy to be praised all the time. Even when you don't understand what's going on. Even when you don't understand why people don't get it. You know what? Our God is always good. Even with the political mess going on. Yeah! I was side issue. I, I, was, I was thinking of this. I remember when, when our current leadership got elected. And I wasn't happy. But I'll tell you what. One of the thoughts that came to my mind is, God, is, this is awesome. God is setting up the stage for him to come back. And this is good. You know, God works in whatever way he sees fit. And we can praise our God for this. He is an awesome God. And we should constantly trust him. So, this attitude that Paul and Silas had, this praising God, again, this is not natural. You know what the natural tendency is, right? The natural tendency is to gripe, to be angry, to complain, and, and not to be praising God. I don't know that it is very possible to be praising God and griping at the same time. We need to make a choice. How are we going to respond? That's what Paul and Silas are doing. They are choosing to follow Jesus. So what do I do? I mean, if you're like me, this, 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 yesterday this, when I was working on that dishwasher... I didn't feel like praising God. I didn't. I felt like griping. I felt like going, when it didn't work right. What do we do? What do we do when sickness comes? What do we do when death comes? What do we do when we lose the job? What do we do when the finances go south? What do we do when we add the people issues? What do we do when all of these things are bombarding us? I would suggest we need to pray and ask Jesus to give us our joy back. Give us a song. Give us the ability to praise Him. Because here's what you're doing. Here's what you're doing. When we say, God, I need your help. I'm failing on this one. This is hard for me. We're saying, Jesus, you're worthy of my praise regardless of what I'm going through. I want your help to be able to fulfill that. We're worshiping. We're saying, Jesus, you're worth more than me. You're worth more than how I feel. This is all about you, and I want to praise you through this. That's what we need to do. We need to call on Him for help. And you realize that a lot of the battle, a lot of the battle that you're going to encounter with not wanting to praise Him when it comes, it's in the preparation. And here's what I mean by that. If you are not practicing, when everything's going really smooth and everything's wonderful, if you're not practicing intentionally praising God for what He's allowed, you're going to have a whole lot harder time when the tough times come praising Him then. Because you're not practicing it. You're all focused on you. You really think that's just going to switch overnight? God's grace can do that. I get it. But you're setting yourself up for a fall. We need to practice praising Him while things are going well. Then when things go south, it's going to be a whole lot easier 
to, to follow him. The key that we end up running into is this. We need to be continually controlled by the Holy Spirit. We need to continually let his word dwell richly in us. That's filled with the Spirit. And that's when we're going to do much, much better at following Jesus and praising him. Now notice too in this verse, the prisoners were listening. Others were listening. Several things with that. Number one, praise isn't private. Praise is not private. They could have been ashamed. They were rejected. They were beaten. They were considered fanatics. They weren't ashamed of this. You probably had prisoners in the other cells as they were singing. Again, I'm using my imagination on this. They were probably heckling them, laughing at them. I'm not sure they hit them in the back. I think they smacked them in the head a few times. They're not right in the head. It doesn't make sense when you're in a place like that to be praising Jesus. So they were probably getting harassed and they're still praising God. And it's not private. Another thing, when we're faithful to the Lord in the middle of our difficulties, it's so easy to say, I want to be faithful to God when things are going well. It is so easy to give testimony of, oh, God is blessing because these good, all these good things happen. And we do have a lot of good things happening. God's just as active in the difficult times. Let's be giving Him praise. They were praising God in the middle of the difficulties, not in spite of them. Well, maybe in spite to a point. But they're praising Him right in the middle of it. When we do that, people will take notice. It's going to be noted. Now, if you're doing it privately, no, they won't. But as we are praising God, as we're serious-minded about Him, people are going to notice. And they had an advantage in a sense the next day, or just in a few minutes. They were able to see how God worked through this thing. They were able to see the end. Everything turned out good. You know, you and I may not see that. We may just see difficulty, 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 and never know how that works out for, in our mind for good. We need to praise God and trust Him anyways. Paul and Silas didn't know what was coming. They were doing that. They were praising Jesus and they were remaining faithful. Okay, your application statement. Let's purpose to live above our circumstances and trust our Lord. He's worthy to be praised and followed regardless of what comes our way. Our God is able to deliver. He can do this if He desires. And here we get to see him do just that. So, your third point. This is the last one we'll look at today. There are no restrictions with God. No restrictions with God. Verse 26, all of a, and suddenly, all of a sudden, there was a great earthquake. We've seen that word great before, the mega. There was a mega earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands we're loose. So it's a mega quake. This is a massive earthquake. I don't know if you've been in one. Uh, I've been in some that were the rolling kind that didn't destroy anything. But you look at countries where you have those, the, you know, the shift type quakes where things just get destroyed. That's what earthquakes do. Earthquakes destroy things. Well, here, this earthquake, what it did was it opened doors and released shackles. Now, I actually read a guy. This guy was out to lunch. 
I think this guy was out to lunch. He said, he started giving natural explanations that the, 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 the jail would have been dug into a rock cave, and when the, when, the, when the earthquake came, it shifted the bars, so the bars adjusted, and the doors came open, and, and the chains fell out of the walls because the, you know, the earth was shaking. That's not right. You know what happened is God sent a miraculous earthquake, and God did miraculous things, and God worked in a miraculous way. And God isn't limited then. He's not limited now. We in our minds may tend to limit Him, but our God is not limited. It's interesting. As you go through Acts, what, what you're going to see, and we've seen some of this already, God works in extremely powerful ways, and often those workings, they're in a direct correlation. They're in response to, they're in reaction to corporate prayer. Do you realize how little emphasis most Christians put on corporate prayer today? God puts at least in the book of Acts, we see an emphasis as people pray together, God moves. Now our culture, I would say we have it rough with this because Western culture is very individualistic. It is, you know, I pick myself up by my bootstraps. I'm a self-made man. I did, and it's all about what we do as individuals. That's our success story. You don't see this in the Bible. In the Bible, you don't see that pride in going it alone. Our scripture shows importance to supporting each other, to praying together. And we're going to come back to that one in a little bit. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll visit that one again. Why the miraculous quake? Why do we have to see this? I'm going to suggest to you a few things, and they're all, they all come back to the same key issue. One, one reason we had had the miraculous quake, Paul and Silas, they're going to be greatly encouraged and they're going to see the power of God answering them. We're going to see the power of God working in them. He is going to be showing them that he, those men had his approval. So Paul and Silas get to see God working. You also have prisoners who are all around them. They're hearing Jesus being praised. They're going to get to see that Jesus working. They're going to get to see his power and they're, with their chains coming off. That was not normal. It says the chains were released. The shackles were released. Didn't just say it fell out of the wall. These guys are free. This is good. This is a huge thing. But it also, another thing that God used with this is he woke up that jailer. That jailer had been hearing. That jailer had been listening to what's going on. And from the, sound, the, from the wording and the text, it sounds like he was probably in what we would call a guardhouse, and he was just there close. That's how he would see that the doors were open. God is showing this man that he's working. All that to say, he's showing people he's working. He is showing his power. It's about him. God made that very, very clear. And again, I would suggest to us, God is still working today. Maybe, just maybe, we would see more of his power. We would see more of his, his outward working if Christians were more serious about praising Him outwardly, about following Him, about living for Him, and not about tacking Him onto our lives, maybe we'd get to see a little more of the power of God in us. So, some lessons here. God works in different people in different ways. And He does. I don't know that we always like that, because it may not seem fair. 
But he works in different people. Think about what he's done so far. We had Lydia. Lydia was basically sitting in a Bible study, and the Holy Spirit had been prepping her over time. And then she gets the gospel. She makes the decision to trust Christ. It's a beautiful thing. It's not dramatic. She, just, she comes to Christ. And then we shift right over to this demon-possessed girl. This is big. That's drama. You have an exorcism happen, and again, I'm assuming that young lady came to Christ, but it was a dramatic type event. Now we come here to this Philippian jailer, and God sends an earthquake. God really shakes this guy up, and he gets his attention. God worked in a way, with different people in the way that he saw fit to work. And that's his business. He works in different ways. But here's what happens then. Jesus takes all of these people, all of these different types of people, and he brings us together into one body. And people, whether you like it or not, you become brothers and sisters with other Christians. And yes, they're different than you. Yes, we got, we, we've all got our own backgrounds, our own difference. I get it. But we come together as a body. And there is a unity that, that He gives to us. This is the beauty of the church. The important thing to remember with this is this. However God is working with you, however He's moving, however He is, 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 whatever He's doing in your life, respond to Him quickly. Submit to Him. That's what He desires. That's what, we, that's what He deserves. Another thing, and we, we mentioned this already, but again, we would see more of God's power demonstrated as we are walking and being more serious-minded about Him. Now, does that mean that God's necessarily going to do more? Oh, not necessarily, but we're going to see more. We're going to recognize more as we're walking with Him. We need to be advancing His kingdom. We need to be praising Him especially during the hard times, instead of griping, instead of being bitter. And again, we're more likely to do that as we corporately praise Him together. That's why you know, Hebrews 10, don't forsake the assembling yourselves together, but exhort one another, that encouraging each other to praise. As we come together, we're going to be much more likely to be obeying this part of that command. And I'm not going to spiritualize this text, but I would say this. The prisoners, some would say they were all saved because their shackles were let go, and that's symbolic of their sin being... No, their shackles were let loose. I would say many of them probably did get saved. It's a great thing. and They, they saw the working of God, but I'm not going to say they were all saved. I will say this. Paul and Silas had an excellent illustration to use with these guys. They got to see shackles come off of them in a miraculous way. And in the same way, we can tell people today, you know what, your shackles need to come off because you're bound to sin. You don't have a hope. You are, you're a prisoner and you can't get loose without God doing a work and you coming to Jesus Christ. This has to happen in your lives. And only Jesus can do it. He's got to be the one to do this work. But you and I be willing to follow Jesus and put ourselves in a position of being used to help others to find this spiritual freedom. We've got to be desirous for that. Your application statement. God can still work in, in a miraculous way. Let's be faithful to Him 
so we can be in the middle of experiencing his power in, the li- in our lives and the lives of others. God isn't limited. And God is totally worthy of our praise. As you and I follow him, God can use us to influence other people. And we're going to get to see how he does that next week with the Philippian jailer. And we need to remember, Jesus promised that the world would hate us, just like it did him. But as we walk with him, as we follow him, we can have the same joy that Paul and Silas had, regardless of what comes our way. Those are, all, those are bumps in the road, but we can follow Jesus. And God can work through us, just like he did with Paul and Silas. Now, for those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, he is still working, and he's still drawing people to himself, and we all need to respond to him. Let's stand for a moment. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, I do want you to understand this. You're hopeless. There is not a thing you can do to earn favor with God. There is nothing you can do to, to earn his, to, to merit His forgiveness. You can't do anything to make yourself more attractive to a holy God, because we can't be. We're unattractive. You need to trust what Jesus has done on your behalf. Trust his attractiveness, if you will. We need to be trusting him, and we'd love to help you with that. Christian, let's ask the Lord to help us be serious about being obedient followers of Jesus. Don't take that statement lightly. This is something we have to intentionally do. We tend to to, to act like Paul was the exception, and he was something that was just miraculously good, Paul was just like you and me. There was no difference. You and I can follow Jesus. He wanted to, 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 he loved his Lord, and he wanted to make Jesus popular. That's what we need to do. And we need to do that very intentionally. How can we do anything less? After all, he's done for us. You, you do business with God as he leads.